Hi guys, welcome to episode 9 of Books with Jen. If you're listening to this on YouTube and you would prefer to download the audio to take with you when you're out and about and on the go, then head over to jen-campbell.com forward slash podcast, which is also linked in the description, where you can download the episode there. All of the books that we mention in this um, podcast will be linked in the video description, if you're listening on YouTube, um, along with a link to a playlist so you can catch up with previous episodes of the podcast too. So today I am joined with the lovely Rachel Joyce. Rachel has written many books that have emotionally destroyed me um, in a great way, I promise. The first one of those was The Unlikely Pilgrimage of Harold Fry. And I think that you really have Rachel to thank for coining that kind of title with someone's name in. That's a long, long title. There are so many knocking around. Hers is the original and the best, so you should make sure to check that one out if you haven't already. The Unlikely Pilgrimage of Harold Fry is about a man called Harold Fry um, who gets a letter from an old friend of his called Queenie who says that she's dying. Um, Harold lives in the very south of England and Queenie is in a home hospice in Northumberland and he decides he's going to write her a letter and he walks to the post box to post it to her but he can't bring himself to post it so he decides he's just going to walk to the next post box and when he gets there decides he's just going to walk to the next one and then he just keeps on going and he decides he's going to go and deliver the letter in person he's going to walk all the way to Northumberland it's just the most beautiful book she revisited it with a book called The Love Song of Miss Queenie Hennessy which tells the story from Queenie's side you can actually read the books in in any order because they're kind of taking place simultaneously and um That one, it broke me even more, if that's at all possible. Uh, She also wrote a novel called Perfect, a short story collection with stories set around Christmas. And her new book is uh, called The Music Shop. Um, And this is, so this is her fifth book. And it's about a man called Frank who runs a music shop. And he can give people what they want, even when they don't know what it is they want. He can give them a record, a piece of music that will fix whatever problem they have. Um, I've just started reading it. It's absolutely beautiful. So I asked Rachel if she would like to come and sit with me in my garden and talk about books and writing. And um, it was really lovely to meet because we've talked over the years, but never actually met in person. So as I said, yes, we recorded this in our garden. So you can hear some background noises. At one point, I think you can vaguely hear my neighbour washing her dog. (laughs) You can hear the birds. Occasionally, you can hear an aeroplane because, you know, this is London and there's always an aeroplane somewhere. So I hope that you enjoy this episode and please go and check out Rachel's books because they're absolutely wonderful. Hi guys, I'm actually sitting in the garden with Rachel Joyce um, and Lola thought that she was going to be the one interviewing Rachel. She <laughs> took the interview seat and looked very expectant about it and now she's sitting on my knee so if you can hear any kind of dog noises, I promise that's not us. <laughs> or me. <laughs> oh yes, or oh, Rachel. Hello, thank you for coming on the podcast. It's very lovely to be here. Yeah, we were saying as we were walking from the tube um, that we feel as though we've met before, but we actually haven't. Because you very kindly wrote a little book, a little book, a little bit for the bookshop book. When I, I was did. Doing that. I really remember first receiving it. Yeah, and I it was such a lovely idea. Yeah. Well, and Rachel has sent a book to my gran, uh, a copy of Queenie Hennessy, which my gran keeps in a glass case and won't let anybody touch. <laughs> um, so. Let's go back to the beginning, because we'll talk about your new book in a bit. Yeah. Let's talk about Harold. Okay. Are you sick of talking about Harold I'm yet? not at all <laughs> sick of talking about Harold. No, and I mean, it's strange, because sometimes I I don't completely forget that I wrote it. But no. he's just kind of walked so far off on his own 
you know, in his own journey now, that yeah. he feels very um, separate from me. And in fact, mm. I was driving the other day, not sorry, a, a while ago, I was driving the car, and there was a van up ahead of me, and it was advertising um, chairlifts, stairlifts. Yeah. And the picture was ha the kind of, I think it was the Taiwanese Harold Fry or something. It was as if he'd actually gone off and set up his own company. <laughs> <laughs> I went to the job that's Harold Fry. <laughs> And he's gone off and set up his own business yes, and yes, earning money really without well. me. <laughs> so when did you first write Harold? Because he's your first novel, but you've done yeah. radio plays and stuff before yes, that. Yes, I've right? done lots of radio mm. um, afternoon plays. So Harold Fry began as an afternoon play. Mm. I wrote it just as a three-hander play, so a 45-minute play, and I wrote it for my dad. Yeah. Because my dad, my dad had just told us he was dying, and um, I sort of had to put the feelings that I had somewhere. You know, I had to do something creative with that grief, and I knew that he wouldn't live long enough to hear the play, um, and he didn't. But, but that was the kind of impetus behind it. Yeah. So when did that go on radio? That went on radio, uh, I think, two thousand and six. So my my dad had died then, mm. and. Um, I did ask them if they would dedicate it to him, yeah. But I think they felt they, they, that was just a kind of so unusual that they seems they a bit do that. So I dedicated it to him when I wrote the book. Oh, good, because yeah. that, that seems a bit mean to say <laughs> no. Yeah. No, you, you, can't you, can't have his, you can't have his play. No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, maybe I don't know. Maybe it would have added minutes or something. I don't know seconds. Oh well. So still. it was fine. Okay. Well. I'm glad you got to dedicate it to him in the book. I did. Anyway. So was it always going to be a book as well, do you think? Or did it no, morph no, no, slowly? No, it, it morphed. So then I carried on writing other radio plays. Although I did know there was something about it because um, Anton Rogers, who'd played Harold in the, on the radio and for whom I'd written the play in the first place, was always quite keen to kind of take it on and do something else with it. Um, and a few people wrote in afterwards, and I thought, well, maybe there is something in this story. So anyway, I then went on and wrote other things. And then when it came to writing a book, which was the thing I'd always, always wanted to do, but sort of shied away from, for mm. all the complicated reasons that we all shy away from writing books, uh, I started another one, and it, it was just so intense. <laughs> you know, it was, my husband read it, and he went, Oh, don't do this. <laughs> <laughs> Which is just what you want to hear. Well, well maybe it is, advice, actually. actually. Yeah. It was straight, plain advice. Mm. And it was just, you know, this is too distressed. Did it become anything else, or was it just No, left? it's in a nice bottom drawer. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, so that was when I went back to Harold Fry, and I thought, hang on, there's a story that I, I know that I haven't really fleshed out as much as I want to, and uh, I think I, I'll just invest in that. And it mm. was very, very fast, the writing How of it. Fast? Well, I mean, it was about six months. Wow, which that is fast, yeah. You know, very, I mean, it was just very mm. intense. But what was so lucky about having written it before as a radio play is that you just know the structure. You know, you know, yeah. you know your kind of beginning, your end, your sort of central, the, the parts where the plot has to take a major twist. They're, all those engines are already running. Mm. And it's so lovely that Jim Broadbent narrates the audiobook. And he I does it that. so beautifully. Oh, it's it's really tender the way he does it. Yeah. Is there ever going to be a film, do you think? I hope so. It's been a very long time. I mean, mm. it's, the rights have been taken. And, um, yeah, possibly. It's supposed to be. But these things take a really long time. I, I mean, that's what's so wonderful about writing a book, is that... What, you're in control? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you know when you can get it finished by. Yeah. Yeah. So, I bet that you have got so many 
amazing, lovely, heartbreaking stories from touring with Harold and talking to people because it's just the kind of story that inspires people, I imagine, to want to talk to you. I mean, yeah. I did. I gushed in an email to you. I was like, let me tell you something. <laughs> but I imagine that there are so many instances of that. There have been. Yeah, no, and it's been really nice. I didn't expect it, though, but people have been really open with me. Mm. Um, and then sometimes, oh, I've, I mean, it's, it's a while since I've actually done anything we were talking about Harold, but I do remember once a woman came up to me and she just held my hand. Oh. And it was really nice. Yeah. It felt like a really proper connection and we didn't say anything. Yeah. Oh. Well, that's sad. <laughs> that's lovely. <laughs> well, it was sort of sad and happy. Yeah. It was, you know, it was both. Have you read The Art of Asking by Amanda Palmer? No. I, no, I, I would urge you to read it because she, well, she's written this book kind of about what it's like to create art. Um, so she's a musician. She was in a band called the Dresden Dolls. Right. Now she mostly performs on her own. She's also now married to Neil Gaiman. They're like a super uh, couple. Okay, um, right. But at, initially, when she was first trying to make it as a musician, she was also an eight-foot-tall bridal statue in, um, I think it was in Brooklyn, in a square. Oh, so wow. she would paint herself completely oh, white okay. and stand on this box. And she would just have, she said, these profound moments with people uh, where they would yeah. come up to her. Yeah. And she said she felt as though she was the only person who'd seen them that yes. day. Yes. And they would just look at each other for a minute. And she said yeah. that she felt like she cried so many times just yeah, looking yeah. at people yeah. like that. And at the end of that interaction, she would, if they gave her, you know, a dollar or whatever, yeah. she would hand them a paper flower that she'd made. And then they would walk off. And um, she'd be really mortally offended if, if someone wouldn't take the flower. Uh, you know, they were like, no, no, yeah. you keep it for the next person. Uh, She's like, no, 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 no I've got to you. give you something back. Yeah. Oh, Lola climbed down and now wants to get up again. Come on, there, little one. <laughs> Um, but it's that exchange, yes. isn't it? Yeah, that's what wordless so, yeah. understanding. Yep. Yeah. So we went from I say we you went <laughs> from Harold yeah. um, to writing perfect first. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, and then back to Harold's world again. I did. Yeah. How was it um, going back? Had you always intended to go back? I hadn't attended, intended at all to go back. So it was. Um, it was just one of those ideas that come, I mean, just sort of they're in the room. You think, hang on a minute, how mm. did I not spot that before? <laughs> you know, how did I walk past that so many times? It seemed so obvious. Mm. But it partly came out of the fact that having done all those events like we were talking about, um, people often asked about Queenie. Yeah. And, um, and, I, and also they wanted to know the kind of backstory. So I would talk about my dad and his cancer and yeah. how Queenie's cancer exactly is, was my dad's. Um, but the more I kind of talked about it, the more I was talking about my dad just with cancer. And it sort of began to hurt a bit that I wasn't describing my, you know, my dad, who was a kind yeah. of, you know, he's an architect and he loved jazz and he loved red wine. And, you know, he could be, he could be so difficult and he could be so funny. Mm. Um, so I sort of felt, well, it's the same with Queenie. She's just a figure in a bed, but I could turn this whole story around and um, tell it from her point of view. And, there, and it, that felt right to do that. I mean, I wouldn't yeah. have done it if I hadn't felt actually there's more to tell here. And as well, it gave me an opportunity to explore a bit more of David's story, which um, 
obviously if you're writing from the point of view of the father about a, a father-son relationship that is you know, dysfunctional mm. in essence you can't really get it's cheating if you get much of the son's point of view in but I thought if yeah. writing from Queenie's point of view you know what if they had a relationship there was just felt there was so much more to explore I think that was one of like well there are so many beautiful things in the book but I think that 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 bit and exploring that aspect of their lives was the most profound yeah. I thought um packed such a punch if you want to be emotionally destroyed by the way just read Rachel's books <laughs> so let's talk about the music shop because that's your new book um and oh Lola's trying to eat flies <laughs> um how did that one come about Tell us a bit about it, because most people won't have read it yet. No, no. So this one came about. I actually was writing this one before I had the kind of Queenie Hennessy moment. So okay. I was all, this was all underway. And that's um, very organised. <laughs> well, it isn't because I had to stop. I had to stop the music shop. I've had to stop it twice now because I stopped it for Queenie Hennessy, and then I stopped it for this book of Christmas short stories. Oh think. yes, the short stories. And so, um, so I came back to it again finally. But it began again years and years ago when um, my husband, who's a really big music fan, mm. I am too, but he's kind of like Boise music fan, you know, it's like Red Enemy from the age of 10 and played in bands and, mm. you know, all those things that I didn't do. Um, but we'd moved and he was having real difficulty sleeping at night. So um, we tried, you know, herbal tea or whatever and sleeping on different sides of the bed and then um, he found this record shop and he went in and and just said to the owner I'm, I'm just I can't sleep at night and the owner went off and said I think I've got a thing for you oh really and came back and gave him this CD and then lots of other people in the shop went oh hang on we can't sleep either <laughs> <laughs> and they also bought the CD and Paul brought it back and it worked what was the CD? Well, it's in the book. I've included it in, in the music shop. And it's, it's um, a French uh, piece of music by a mm, sort of like medieval composer called Perrotin. Mm. And it's called Beata Viscera. I hope I'm pronouncing that properly. But it's a single voice singing. But it's, it's so beautiful, this mm. voice, because it... It just goes up and up and up and up and up. You think it can't possibly go any higher. And then it does. And then you think, oh my God, it's going to fall. And it swoops down and then it goes right, right up. But it's so kind of brave mm. and so beautiful that it's very calming. So so uh, that was, but Paul and I were saying, well, this is a story. This is definitely a book about yeah. a man who can find music mm. to cure people. So I sort of began writing it, and you know, and then we went back eventually. Uh, we, we used to go back quite a lot, but then a, a bit of time passed, and we went back, and the shop had gone. Oh. And um, it was very moving because it was just some dead flies on the on the window ledge, and some sort of shutters that were half shut, and it really looked sort of ransacked. Yeah. And uh, I thought, right, that's it. That's it, I'm definitely... Well, you have to bring I, it back I, to I life do. now. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I feel that way about bookshops too. Well, of course, and yeah. I had bookshops in yeah. my mind because, yeah. I mean, I have visited a lot of record shops, but I've visited a lot, a lot of, of, bookshops. of bookshops. And you and you see the same 
sort of scenario really where it's you know it's not just somewhere where you go to buy books no and it's, it's it's really not it's and if you've worked at a book you know, you know that yes. people come in to tell you their lives yeah 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 i really picked that up mm. no we had lots of um people at the bookshop that i used to work at ripping yarns and i don't know where i don't know if it was where it was located or the kind of shop it was because we were very it was a very run-down shop but it looked yeah. like you know the borough in Harry Potter, you know, it was held up by magic or something. Yes. So it wasn't a, a pristine place, and I think yeah. the people did feel like they could they could go in there and yeah. literally lose themselves. Yeah. And we had so many regulars of people who, um, I t- it was my favourite bit. Well, that and the children were my favourite bit about about yeah. the shop. And we had a guy who used to come in a lot, um, and he'd always want to buy things, but in exchange for like a carton of milk or something that he brought in and not money. Yeah. Um, and he was, he was, he was the loveliest guy. Um, and other customers, I mean, obviously they didn't interact with him all the time. So mm-hmm. they were often a bit wary of him, but he was just, he was the loveliest and he would come in often. And one day he came in and he had written words all over his arms and he was like forming sentences and he wouldn't talk to me. Yeah. Um, and I could see he was in quite a panic state. But he he wanted a book, and I managed to find the book that he was after. He wanted a copy of Black Beauty. Right. And then he came back a couple of weeks later and said he was really sorry, but his mum had just died. Uh. And he had just gone into this state where he just felt he couldn't talk. Right. Um, so, it, it, yeah, bookshops are safe places for yeah, people. And are. I think that music shops have that yeah, as well. they do. It's this deep connection to... To well, I guess either a piece of music or a book, and also they're they're environments where you can take something that's so solitary mm-hmm. and speak to people about it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so how? But did you could also go into them not knowing what you're going to find. Yes, which is really exciting because it's it's a kind of adventure, isn't it? It's a journey. Um, and that's what I sort of wanted to get with the music shop. Mm. And a lot of the customers I put in the music shop were just customers that I people told me about. Yeah. Or, um, that you know really touched me. Yeah. So how did? I know your music shop came about from that actual music yeah, shop, yeah. but the story of the music shop. So then, uh, so well, the story was a sort of it went all over the place the mm. way stories do. And I, I had one idea. I thought it was going to be one thing, and then it became something else. Mm. You know, sometimes people wander in, and you think, "What on earth are you doing here?" Yeah. Um, but I knew I wanted it to be a love story, and I knew. Uh, that I wanted to weave in music so that in read in reading it you would find out more about music without it feeling like a music lesson so yeah. that you would feel you knew something at the end that you hadn't known at the beginning mm. but I didn't want it to be like a lecture and I really wanted the story to be the motor and so that mu- the music to be kind of just something that came along the way mm. so um, writing a love story seemed uh, you know about about a man who's sort of so good at looking after other people, but really incapable of looking after himself. Yeah. And a woman with a a big secret seemed a bit sort of that seemed a very kind of there seemed to be lots of energy around that. Yeah. And lots of different directions you could take it. Yeah. Did you yeah. find? Did you listen to music when you were writing it? Yeah, I did yeah. all the time, and I really, really listened because part of my thing was with Frank was that Frank, who's the owner of the shop, mm. was that 
I think I cut it in the end because I thought I'm spelling it out too much here for the reader. But he, early on, I had him saying, "We've just forgotten how to listen. We don't." Yes. So you, and it isn't just that you put on a piece of music and then you go and cook a meal or you go and I don't know do something else. You've got to sit there and really, if you want to find it, you've got to sit and really listen just to that. Mm-hmm. So um, that was sort of how Frank came about. So if that was where you wanted it to go, did it? Yeah. Did you fight with the book, or I fought a bit with the book. I think you always have to fight with books, don't you? I, mean, I do. You it did misbehave quite a lot, and um, I started off as well, for instance, thinking I was writing a very about a very slight man, and uh, and I was writing him, and you know, and he was there in my head, and then. Um, just began to worry. I began to think, this poor man, I don't think he's physically capable of standing up to what I think I'm about to put him through. <laughs> Did you <laughs> feel mean? I think he's got to grow a bit. <laughs> okay, all right. And so he just overnight became a different show. But I love that with writing, mm-hmm. that your characters can, you know, they don't only really change what they're wearing, they actually change shape. Yes. To suit, you know, to just to kind of, in order to rebalance the story a bit. Mm-hmm. And Ilsa, the, the woman he falls in love with, went through so many changes, poor woman. You know, mm. one minute she was incredibly beautiful, then she was incredibly ordinary, and then she just kept switching just to find the right thing. And it's just like sort of, it's like cooking, I guess. You've just got to, you've got to get the flavours right. I'm thinking of one of those, you know, those picture books you used to have when you were little, and they yes. come in three parts. Yes, and you it's exactly like them. that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's really fascinating. Because uh, I was saying to Rachel at the moment, I'm trying to trying being the right word uh to write a novel so this is a process i haven't really come across yet because i've worked with short stuff before and i normally have quite a cute idea of who people are but if you're writing such a long form you do have to i don't know you have to really really know them you do yeah you do but i think in short stories you have to really really know them or at least you have to know them in that moment yeah yeah Yeah, absolutely there's a bit of spillage that goes on there isn't there Mm -hmm. (laughs) but Yes, with a book, I mean, partly for me, um, even though I try to plan, I never really find out what's going to work until I've written it. I think that's reassuring to a lot of writers because um, there are so many things out there, you know, how to write a novel and 10 steps and all of this stuff. And that might be helpful if you're completely lost, but you've got to do the process that works for you. You do. Mm -hmm. Which is such a cliche, I'm sorry, but (laughs) but it is. No, but it is. I mean, you know, I think writing tips they're always interesting you know what people say about writing and Mm -hmm. things about structure I keep going back to because I think it's such a good thing to think about you know and just how you entice the reader to come with you but um, as you say everybody's process is going to be a little bit different and I've kind of had to come to accept that mine is just a load of mistakes yeah and that you wake up one day and you kind of you think do you know what I've gone you've gone so far down the wrong road and if I was actually, this was me walking, I would probably go, oh, do you know what, I'll just carry on. Because <laughs> I'll find my way back. But with writing, you have to go, no, do you know what, this has all got to go. Yeah. I thought you were doing a Harold metaphor there for a second. Yeah, no, I could have done, but you I abandoned done. it. No, okay, that's fine. <laughs> but, um, yeah, and I, I think there's, it's this idea of false economy as well, right? So if you're writing and you're like, I really, I've spent so much time creating this one section of this story... I can't delete it because yeah. I, that would be a waste of my time. It's not a waste of your time. It's not a waste of time, but sometimes it does take a little bit of time to actually go, do you know what, this is going to go, and it's not going to hurt me as much no. as I thought it would a few weeks ago when I looked at it and thought, hmm. 
No, exactly. And in a couple of weeks more, when you have recrafted that, yeah. you will not, you'll not feel it anymore no, at all. No. no. And, a, and another friend of mine who's a writer always says, nothing is for nothing. And what you cut, you just put away. Yes. And it might well pop up somewhere else where you're least expecting it. Yeah, exactly. So, what is your plan for the music shop at the moment? It's out on, well, as we're recording this, it's out on Thursday. Thursday, Excuse yeah. me, yeah. And you've got the launch tonight. Yeah. How are you feeling about that? I know that it's not your first book, does, but do you still get nervous? I get really nervous. Yeah. I get really, really Do you get nervous. more nervous? Yes, yeah. I think I do. <laughs> yeah. I've already spilt my lunch down my party dress. Oh, no. I know. It's a bit of a... I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm wondering if I can hold my hand over this sort of... I don't know what it is even. I don't know what it... <laughs> could create that kind of stain. But anyway, you needn't worry about that. At least you can't see it. Exactly. That's why, that's why we're doing the podcast. Rachel got here and went, I'm not filming today. I've spilt my lunch down me. That's not what happened. Well, so, I hadn't noticed, so it's not that well, obvious. Well, there we go. Uh, I don't know why, if it will ever get any better. It's You feel vulnerable because it matters to you. Yeah. And you wouldn't have written it if it didn't matter. And you wouldn't have... You know, you invest a lot in it, so it is a bit of you that's on the line or sticking your head over the parapet or whatever it is. So somebody asked me yesterday how I felt, and I thought, I, said, I feel a bit like I'm on a lake, on a tiny boat, and I'm just wondering if anyone's going to come and join me. I I'll come know. and join you. Will you? I will come and join you. <laughs> Absolutely. So at the end of these podcasts, I always ask authors to recommend some good books that they've read recently yeah. and to tell us what they're doing next. Uh-huh, okay. I mean, the last one, I'm sure, is every author's favourite question. Yes. <laughs> You're like, I just did a book. Can we focus on that yeah, book? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Doing the shopping. Uh, so what have I been reading recently? Well, Richard Ford's memoir called, I'm pretty sure it's called Between Them, though you have that moment of doubt when you think, oh, hang on, have I got this right? But it's, it's a really slim memoir, and it's about his mother and his father, and I think he wrote one essay... 30 years ago and then the other one really recently and it's it's so sparely written but with such generosity mm. and there's one line that really I mean, there's lots of lines that pinged out at me but he writes about when his father dies and he, the, the relationship between his parents was extremely close but when his father died his his mother came and took away the body so that the wife wouldn't have it okay. so, so she and, and in the memoir, Richard Ford writes, it's not the saddest thing I ever heard, but it's one of them. Yeah. And I find that so kind of open. And but sometimes it takes enormous um, skill, I think, to be so clear. Yeah. So that's one of my recommendations. And Elizabeth Strout is always very high on my list of recommendations because she just writes with so much kind of compassion. And again... Um, uh, without it feels like without ego because it's not it's not kind of flowery it's mm. like plain speaking but um, really um, thought provoking so so those are two books I've read recently that I really really loved um, and I'm already writing the, the next one because I think there's something in me that only feels safe if I'm <laughs> writing something. If I have a little imaginary world going on, I sort of feel, oh, well, this is safe, so I'll go over here with these people. And that's why you've brought your laptop with you today. So that's even why I've got my laptop on the train. I mean, even yeah. though when could I have looked at that today? But I did on the train just have a... I, looked at about, I wrote about three sentences, mm. but I felt calm. 
Yeah. You went into that space. Into I did that go zone. into that space, into mm. my little imaginary mm. space. And that is a novel called Benson's Beetle. Okay. Can we know anything about you, well, it? Well, yeah. I mean, at the moment, the time... I fancied going back in time, not doing historical fiction, but not writing in a contemporary setting. Okay. So I'm just kind of trying to work out... It was. It went a long way back, and it keeps inching its way forward, you know, the way characters change mm. shape. So I can't promise you when it will be set yeah. <laughs> at this point. But it's about cryptozoology, which Ooh. really, really interests me. Yeah, that interests me too. There's a whole section that in um, Treadwell's bookshop. Ah, uh, yes, is there? There is, you should go there. Well, it's actually very close to where your launch is. It's just around the corner. Oh, I will go and I wonder mm. if I'll have time. Well, I could come back. Yeah. I, I find it fascinating. And for those people who don't know, it's it's sort of termed as, what is it, the search for animals that don't scientifically exist, mm -hmm. which really appeals to me. Yeah. I have, yeah, no, I have, I was going to say lots of books on the subject, but actually no, but veering into that subject, so very strange animals that you wouldn't think existed. Right, right. So I, I'm a, yeah. a bit obsessed with those two, but yes, I mean, give me a good unicorn. I mean, Yeah, well, not? yeah, of course. Yeah. So it's to do with cryptozoology. Yes, because Benson, my, my hero in whatever period of time he happens to find himself, is searching for a beetle that doesn't exist and has been doing for his, his whole life. Well, I'm hooked already, so you, 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 can, uh, you can write that very quickly, please. That would be great. I'll have it tomorrow. Yeah, that would be yeah, great. Yeah, yeah, thank you very over. much. Yeah, yeah, that would be good. Okay, well, I'm going to end this here. Thank you very much thank for joining you. me. Thank, thank you. you. It's been very lovely.